this is Sean Harwell. You are listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. And this is the podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and yours. I'm joined today, as always, I'm going to stop talking like that, but uh, couldn't be happier to have my co-host in my corner here. His name is Craig Moorhead, and I would like it, Craig, if you would greet the people listening. Hello, I am Craig Moorhead. <laughs> we're going to do this. <laughs> oh, I thought that's what, that's what you were going okay. for. <laughs> I could do that for the whole episode. We will. It was very exciting. I thought it was very exciting you. what you were doing. I think it, I thought it brought kind of a new vibe to the whole thing. I liked it. A little bit of a trailer voiceover guy kind of vibe to yeah. it. Yeah. But not as cool, not as threatening. Let me trailer voice everybody into our like info. Okay. In a world where you... <laughs> no, no. But, uh, I, you know, I, I really miss trailer voice, though. Yeah, it's kind of gone, isn't it? There's almost no trailer voice, is there? Like, do we get a lot of voices in trailers? Anymore? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good, good question. Man, I, I mean, some of those trailer voices were so good. Maybe that guy died or something. We should look into. Oh, uh, I think so. Maybe nobody think, knows where yeah. he is. And there's like one guy out there right now, probably listening to our podcast. A single tear in his eye. <laughs> Sorry, sir. We love what you were doing. We did. Yeah, we were fans. Uh, but anyway, uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast and you're thinking. I need to express myself to these two podcast hosts. You can do that. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can contact us. You can tell us if there's a movie you want us to do. We might do it. Or, yeah, or you can tell us we did something wrong. We might fix it. Probably not. Do you have too much homework? Do you need help with your math? Let us know. Uh, dude, I'm terrible at math. Me though. too. Me too. I mean, that's not. Yeah, you. Can, we can help you, but it's not a guarantee yeah. it'll get any better. We'll point you to the right Google page. Yeah. Yeah. You should really probably just be on the internet. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I feel like I've been doing podcasts all evening, and I'm just warmed yeah, up. Feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're talking about a movie today, Craig, mm-hmm. that you threw to me, and yeah, I knew the title. Yeah. I know this is one of your favorite movies, I think. You've mentioned that before. You've mentioned this movie several times before, I think, on this very podcast. Oh, yeah. And I still have not seen it. Mm -mm. So we are rectifying that before the beautiful foundation of Filmstruck comes crumbling down, uh, beaten to death by old AT&T flip phones. I couldn't be more excited to get into this. I really enjoyed looking up the behind-the-scenes stuff that I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But, but first, but, but first, did I say but, but first? But first, yes, B-E-F-I-R-S-T, but first. Go ahead. I'm with you. But first, yeah. why don't you tell us who made 1942's To Be or Not To Be? I'll do exactly that. Thank you. You're welcome. To Be or Not To Be was directed by Ernst Lubitsch, Lubitsch? Lubitsch. Hey, Sean, <laughs> how would one. you say this name? Lubitsch. Lubitsch. That's how I always said it. And then I was suddenly sure I was going to be Lubitsch, and then I started thinking, well, now I'm saying the word bitch over and over again. Yeah, it does kind of come out that way out of our Western tones. Right. But I, I think it's, yeah, Lubitsch. In my book, this is one of the all-time great filmmaking names. Sure. Ernst Lubitsch, as your director, that sounds like someone who's going to make a film. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It does to me, though. Ernst Lubitsch. Like, what else are you going to do? Maybe you'll do physics or something. I don't know. 
But Maybe. this guy made yeah. some movies. He made Heaven Can Wait in 1943, and I've never seen that, but I I watched the Warren Beatty one a thousand times when I was a kid. Yep. And I loved that movie. And I so I I should have seen Heaven Can Wait by now. Well, hey, if Heaven Can Wait, so can the movie, right? Heard that. Uh, also, he did The Shop Around the Corner, which I believe was made into a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie later on. It was. But he's he's just got a whole slew of movies. And really, if these are any indication, I'm sure he probably has a future ahead of him. Now... He is dead, though. Uh, hey, look, no judgments. Sorry. <laughs> you can be whatever you want to be, Sean, and still That's work true. in the yeah. industry. He can now, haunt himself. I mean, he might be doing that right now. That's right. He may, he may well be haunting himself. That's fine. All right. Let's get back on track. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, I've got some other kind of difficult names i got to get through, so try not to break my concentration. Gotcha. We've got Mel- Melchior. Melchior Lengiel. I, I have like 27 different ways I can pronounce this name. <laughs> yeah. And they're all wrong. So I'm going to leave it right there. Go check out IMDB, everybody. Read the name. And just, you know, laugh at my, you know, incompetence. Melchior Lingiel, maybe? Doesn't yeah, matter. That's right, yeah. Melchior, old ML as I call him or her, wrote the story for uh, Ninochka in 1939 and uh, Silk Stockings in 1957, which yeah. I think are just the same movie. I don't think it was rewritten in 1957. I think it was just based on the same story. But that sounds like a really interesting one, too. And I believe Lubitsch directed that Ninochka so yeah. that might be worth a look uh, Edwin Justice Mayer wrote the screenplay he uh, also wrote other movies such as and these are some of the titles I was talking about in our last tee up about ones that kind of sound made up in a really great way <laughs> yeah he wrote one movie called Wives Never Know in 1936 that has not been my experience yeah uh, Wives Never Know real. And the, the but the my favorite one is Merrily We Go to Hell in 1932. Wow. Which, yeah, I don't expect that to be a title in 1932 at all. Carries a lot more weight. And Ernst Lubitsch uh, did some uncredited work, so we won't talk about that again in case the union is listening. I'm going to talk about that again, though. Mm, I don't know. Sorry. Please feel free <laughs> to spread your rumors and innuendos. We'll do. I think of yours as, yeah, you're like the National Enquirer part of the podcast. That's how okay. I think about it now. Um, I accept that. Okay. The producer was a gentleman by the name of Ernst Lubitsch. Hmm. Uh, not to be confused with Ernst Lubitsch, who directed it. They are the exact same person. It looks like he produced a lot of the movies that he directed, which seems like a good gig. Uh, might as well. At least you're going to get along with your producer, yeah. mostly. Hopefully. Music by Werner R. Heyman, who composed other movies such as, and this is the one where I was going to start putting in fake titles to see if you could guess which one's we're not real. Hail the Conquering Hero, definitely a real movie. Hold That Blonde, Ooh, dicey, maybe not a real title. movie. He Stayed for Breakfast, <laughs> sounds completely made up. I don't yeah. understand why that would be your title. You know how like sometimes you'll see memes on the internet and it'll just be like an old like book cover of some like Harlequin romance or something like that? Yeah. That He Stayed for Breakfast, I feel he like. He Stayed for Breakfast, be, yeah. Yeah, absolutely one of those. She Hired a Plumber, that could be one. Yeah, Why same not? thing. It's part of a it's series. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, um, our director of photography is Rudolf Matei. I'm going to say Matei because it has an accent at the end. Hmm. 
Rudolph, Rudy, as I like to call him, shot Hitchcock's foreign correspondent in 1940. Wow. He also shot, and this is one of my favorite old movies. Uh, the cinematography in this is amazing. The faces in this movie are amazing. I'll tell you the title of it now. The Passion of Joan of Arc, 1928. Mm. Haven't seen it. I mean, that's a movie you can just look at. Like, that is, it's great. I always loved that movie a lot. Cool. Uh, editing by Dorothy Spencer. She edited Stagecoach, Cleopatra, the big, you know, Cleopatra fiasco movie. Yeah. Also, Valley of the Dolls. She cut a ton of stuff. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of great people behind the camera. Let's talk about the people who was getting filmed. Let's do it. Yeah, this movie starred Carol Lombard, who was a huge star at the time. She was in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, 1941. I think that's a, that was a Hitchcock as well. She was in another movie called Up Pops the Devil. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah, he does. He just can't keep the devil down. Yeah. Uh, that, that was in 1931. But one I, I encourage everyone, including myself, to go check out. Jack Benny is in our uh, co-starring role. Uh, he, of course, is known for the Jack Benny Show, 1950 to 1965. Long-running show mm-hmm. big a big figure in in comedy for a lot of people coming up in that era ton of tv a few movie shots here and there a lot of radio yeah radio what am i talking about radio yeah. phonograph um <laughs> telegraph even i don't know about uh, that. a lot of people yeah. don't know he did a lot of telegraph comedy oh jesus <laughs> which was like the turn of the century's snapchat you yeah. could say anyway robert stack you might remember him from Airplane. Yes. Transformers the movie from 1986. A movie 1941 from 1979. It's kind of confusing. <laughs> Robert Stack, I, I couldn't get a whole a figure. I, I, I didn't look at his birth date, which is partially why I can't figure out how old this guy was. Because I was like, wow, he was in this movie from 1942. And like he really goes back a ways. He was um, born in 1919, Craig. 1919. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to say, yeah, he's he's clearly going to be like a kid in this movie, which is so funny because I've never never seen him as a kid in any Yeah, movie. I know. So, and, and that's as far as I went with that. Cool. A, a lot of like studio players, like everybody I was hitting on was in movies, but I was just not recognizing their names after that. So I'm going to leave us there for this movie, but uh, mostly I'm looking forward to figuring out what kind of stuff was Ernst and the crew up to while they were shooting? What, what, what was going on? Well, I'll tell you, Craig. Ernst definitely was doing some writing on this script. I don't know if it was like a Buster Keaton situation where he hated his writer or anything like that. It didn't see anything like that. But um, right. said that he never considered anyone other than Jack Benny for this role and had written the character with him in mind. Jack Benny had not worked with a director of this caliber before and you know immediately accepted the role and was, was thrilled and we'll find out a little bit later kind of overwhelmed by it. The co-star was a little more difficult to cast. They decided with uh, the studio that they wanted Miriam Hopkins, who was in a movie called The Heiress and Trouble in Paradise. And her career had been faltering a little bit. It was supposed to be this big kind of comeback for a veteran actress. But Mm -hmm. it sounds like she didn't get along with Jack Benny very well. And she left. TCM said that she ultimately turned it down because she realized that Benny really had all the laughs in the script in the film and that she would kind of largely be playing the straight man. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to be second fiddle there. Understandable, I think. But look, 
we need the straight man, you know. That's a very important part in any sort of comedic duo, right? Like, you can't overlook that. It's true. So, no. Carol Lombard, bless her, uh, lobbied for the role when she found out that Hopkins was out. Said that Lubitsch was her favorite comedy director, I read, and that she took this role despite strenuous objections from her husband at the time, who was none other than the Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. He objected over the subject matter, which, of course, we're going to get to, but, uh, you know, this is a... A WW2 comedy, uh, kind of poking fun of the Nazis in 1942. You can probably figure that out, but we've got more to come on that matter. But she did it anyway. I said that she recognized just the, the strength of the material and what Lubitsch was trying to do. And it also gave her a chance to work with Robert Stack, who, yes, was her friend that she had known since he was a, t- you know, a teenager, it said. So I'm guessing he's not terribly much older than that in this. Huh. It was shot for United Artists, and I think this was her first movie for United Artists. After filming that, it completed the triumvirate. She had now worked for every major studio in Hollywood. So good on her. Nice. Uh, said after the movie that this was the happiest experience of her career from start to finish, the shooting of this film. She even got top billing over, over Jack Benny there, which, you know, it's probably earned, obviously, because she sure. had more of a career at that point. Producer Walter Wanger... <laughs> who was one of the producers on uh, Cleopatra, also Stagecoach, big name. He was supposed to produce this film. However, um, his schedule got super busy, and then Alex Corda came on board and reportedly contributed $100,000 of his own money to this production. Pretty hefty investment for a single yeah. entity in the, at that time, definitely. The biggest problem they ran into in this shoot was, yeah, Jack Benny was insecure, it said. Um, he was a central role in this movie by a major filmmaker, and it said he seemed a little bit dumbfounded that he had been cast and was built, you know, this film was built around him. It said that Lubitsch finally kind of like pulled him aside and set him straight. It said, quote, you think you are a comedian. You are not even a clown, but you, Jack, you are an actor. You are an actor playing the part of a comedian and this you are doing very well. So but do not worry. I'll keep your secret to myself. It said <laughs> that that kind of eased the situation a little bit, but he was still nervous. Robert Stack said that Quote, Jack was an innocent. He'd never done a movie that worked. He'd always ask me, is this funny? And I'd say, Jesus, don't ask me. But you're an actor, he'd say. Basically, he was scared to death, end quote. Further along that line, it said that, you know, Lubitsch occasionally would act out the scenes for Jack. And it said that Benny was totally appreciative of that. Um, He said he was about the only director who ever really directed me. The trouble was that I knew lots about radio comedy, a little about stage comedy, and nothing about movies, end quote. They filmed from October of 1941. They were supposed to be done by Thanksgiving that year. It didn't happen. Uh, They went to December 23rd. And the world had changed. Uh, the U.S. had entered the world. The U.S. had entered the war. Finally, we yes. we entered the <laughs> we world. Fought. That was quite a year. In a way, we did, metaphorically. But anyway, yeah, they, we had entered the war officially. And suddenly, this movie was a whole lot riskier, obviously. Yeah. But interestingly, I think the first thing that the studio really asked them to do after production was they got a little nervous about the title. And the reason was they thought it seemed too highbrow. Of course, Mm -hmm. you know. Why not go with, uh, you'll see him at breakfast or whatever (laughs) instead, right? That's what we're talking about. Lubitsch apparently, you know, anticipated censorship problems with, I guess, the the censor board there. And he suggested calling the movie The Censor Forbids as an alternate title. 
And I don't know how serious he was about that, but it definitely got floated around and Carol Lombard and Jack Benny uh, did not get the joke of that or did not like the idea of it and said that it was, you know, too suggestive. And apparently they said that they would refuse to promote the movie if it was called that. Maybe they were just doing it on his behalf because, you know, Lubitsch then said that, hey, well, you know, if they object to this, we can't call it that. And they decided that, they would go back to the original title, which Lombard and Benny were completely behind. And so UA kind of gave up the idea of changing it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like, remember that story from Back to the Future where the one producer oh, called? Yeah. yeah. What did he want to call it? Oh, God. Alien, like Space Invaders from Mars or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Spielberg's anyway. like, ah, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So, Craig, this movie was released on March 6, 1942, which is exactly 35 years before I was born. Hey. Wow. Yep. It's like they yep. knew. It's like it makes it makes total sense now, doesn't totally it? Totally makes sense, yeah. <laughs> um, it was also known as Jeu Dangereux in France, which I think mm. translates to Dangerous Games, and Voliamo Vive in Italy, which is, according to Google, we want to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, but not great. Not a great No, time. no, I mean, not a great It's kind of like an obvious statement for anybody. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Surprisingly, I did find that I guess the budget on this movie was $1.2 million, which seems like a lot, but maybe is pretty standard for that time. Uh, and it made one point five. Hmm. That was good for around 27th for the year. Top 10 that year. Do you want to take a stab at number one? Casablanca? I was hoping you would guess that. No, actually, not. Yeah. But Casablanca was in the top 10. Uh, so number one that year was Miss Miniver. Uh, you got Yankee Doodle Dandy, oh, Random yeah. Harvest, Road to Morocco, Reap the Wild Wind. Love that title. Somewhere I'll Find You, Holiday Inn, Casablanca, and Wake Island. I did find some conflicting information about that, but the problem is that they're, you know, they sort of mixed in movies from uh, things that were released at the end of 1941. Mm-hmm. that bled over into 1942 on some of those lists. Like Bambi was one of those movies that made a ton of money, but it was, you know, the weird date release kind of confused things. But Casablanca came out in November of 1942. And so even the fact that, yeah, it was showing up number nine on this list is pretty good. The New York film critics that year had it in their year-end list of the best films of 42, but... Academy did not. It did not win Best Picture until the awards for 1943 because it came out, I guess, in a wider release in January of that year. So anyway, your Academy Award winner for 1942, which I was surprised, too, because I was expecting it to be Casablanca, right? No, Best Picture was Miss Miniver. Uh, Best Director was William Wyler for Miss Miniver, Mrs. Miniver, excuse me. Uh, Best Actor, James Cagney in Yankee Doodle Dandy. Greer Garson won Best Actress for Mrs. Miniver. That was a big winner that year. Uh, supporting actor was Van Heflin and Johnny Eager, and supporting actress was Teresa Wright from Mrs. Miniver. Uh, to Be or Not To Be picked up a nomination for the best score in a comedy or drama because, as we talked about before, they had a separate category for musical. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, it was one of 18 nominees in that category that year. They did not uh, put a hard and fast number <laughs> on keeping it to a low one. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy cow. That's a, yeah. You, know, you got a lot of... A lot of competition there in that category. <laughs> Basically, any movie that was a comedy or drama that had music got nominated. I think. No, I don't know. Uh, the movie came out, and it was a perfect storm of bad circumstance, really. And so you can't really talk about the reception without laying that out, I think, because in some 
since. Maybe it's a miracle that this thing came out at all, right? So Japan bombed Pearl Harbor in November of 41, right? We're in the war. January 1942, Carol Lombard goes home to Indiana to take part in a war bond rally. Her mother's there. Clark Gable, her husband, his press agent, Otto Winkler, is there. They raise over $2 million in defense bonds in a single evening. Um, They were supposed to go back to L.A. by train because her mother and Otto Winkler are afraid of flying. Carol Lombard wanted to get home more quickly. She suggested flying. They didn't want to do that. She suggested they flip a coin. They said, okay. Carol Lombard won the toss. They got on a plane in the early morning hours of January 16th, 1942. They were on a TWA flight uh, headed to California. They stopped in Vegas to refuel, took off at 7 o'clock at night, and crashed into Double Up Peak, excuse me, Double Up Peak of Potosi Mountain. Um, It's about 32 miles southwest of the Las Vegas airport. All 22 people were killed, including Lombard, her mom, 15 U.S. Army soldiers, Otto Winkler. This was kind of interesting. The cause of the crash was determined to be linked to the pilot and the crew's inability to properly navigate over the mountains surrounding Las Vegas as a precaution against the possibility of enemy Japanese bomber aircraft coming into American airspace from the Pacific, safety beacons used to direct night flights were turned off. So the pilot and crew of the TWA flight had no visual warnings of the mountains in their flight path. Awful. Holy cow. Yeah, Yeah. just crazy. I I, kind of feel like every story that starts with, let's flip a coin to see who flies. You know what's going to happen. Just ends up terribly, yeah. And obviously, I mean, a huge, huge loss for Clark Gable. Oh, yeah. Carol's funeral was held on January 21st at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale. Um, She was buried beside her mother. Despite the fact that Clark Gable remarried twice after her death, he chose to be buried beside Lombard uh, when he died in 1960. The effect this had on the movie, uh, I think, you know, probably can't be completely measured. But one of the things they had to do was there was a line in the movie, apparently, where Lombard said something about what can happen in a plane, just kind of jokingly, that they had to cut out. Yeah. According to a book called The United Artists Story by Ronald Bergen, Quote, unfortunately, at its release, Pearl Harbor had been attacked. Germany was sweeping across Europe, and the film star Carol Lombard was killed in a plane crash. Therefore, neither critics nor public were in the mood to laugh, finding the picture tasteless and callous. Kind of understandable. Sure. Jack Benny's own dad, his father, was outraged at the sight of his son in a Nazi uniform in the very first scene and stormed out of the theater, apparently. Uh, it says that Jack was able to convince his father that it was satire and got him to watch the whole thing of it. And I think he became a big fan of the movie. Uh, but Bosley Crowther of the New York Times wrote that, quote, it was hard to imagine how anyone can take without batting an eye a shattering air raid upon Warsaw right after a sequence of farce or the spectacle of Mr. Benny playing a comedy scene with a Gestapo corpse. Uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer agreed, quote, a callous, tasteless effort to find fun in the bombing of Warsaw. That particular newspaper picked up this torch again later on uh, when it reviewed another one of Ernst, Ernst's movies. In this other review, they brought up the fact, uh, I guess somewhat derogatively, of the fact that Lubitsch was born in Germany and that he had made a comedy about Nazis in Poland. And 
Lubitsch did not want to just let this stand, and he responded. He published an open letter to the newspaper and he wrote, What I have satirized in this picture are the Nazis and their ridiculous ideology. I have also satirized the attitude of actors who always remain actors, regardless of how dangerous the situation might be, which I believe is a true observation. It can be argued if the tragedy of Poland, realistically portrayed as in to be or not to be, can be merged with satire. I believe it can be, and so do the audience, which I observed during a screening. But this is a matter of debate, and everyone is entitled to his point of view, but it is certainly a far cry from the Berlin-born director who finds fun in the bombing of Warsaw. So good for him for speaking his mind, you know? Yeah. We'll just throw that out there in the Philadelphia newspaper and think they can get away with that crap. Philly. <laughs> City of brotherly love, my ass. Anyway, but it wasn't all bad. Variety said it was one of uh, Lubitsch's best productions in a number of years. It was a solid piece of entertainment. Harrison Reports called it an absorbing comedy of drama of wartime. Expertly directed and acted. Um, over time, obviously, it's gone on to prestige. In 1996, it was selected for uh, preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. It's number 49 on the AFI's Top 100 Comedies list. Uh, Premier Magazine had it in their Top 50 Comedies of All Time in 2006. Miscellaneous trivia for you. Uh, in this movie, when the war breaks out in Poland, there's a scene where gravestones are destroyed by the German forces. And one of the gravestones has the name Benjamin Kubelski on it. Do you want to guess whose name that is? Jack Benny's. Yeah, Jack Benny. That's his real name, apparently. Benjamin Kubelski. What's wrong with that, you know? I know. I would still watch this movie. (laughs) If it was filled with Rubelski's. Kubelski. Kubelski's. Get it right. Or Rubelski's. No, no, no. Rubelski. Either one, I would never... Okay. (laughs) Hey, if you like this movie, here's some more like it from IMDb. Nanachka, as you mentioned, the shop around the corner. Mm-hmm. Trouble in Paradise, Heaven Can Wait, Sullivan's Travels. Have you seen Sullivan's Travels, Craig? I haven't seen Sullivan's Travels. Oh, that's a yeah, good one. That's another big one on the list. Film nerds will recognize that as a movie where the title, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, came from. Uh, and then lastly, My Man Godfrey. Now, mm-hmm. aside from the fact that it would predate my birthday about 35 years, there really I, I couldn't find something specifically significant that happened on March 6, 1942, other than the release of this movie. Obviously, the war was going on. There were things that happened, but nothing that I saw that was particularly of note. All due respect to, I'm sure people died that day. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. do that. But on the day after, on the 7th of March, both Michael Eisner, former head of uh, Disney, and Tammy Faye Messner, former wife of Jim Baker, Tammy Faye Baker, former makeup enthusiast, and an evangelist, uh, were born. What a blessed day. Yeah, my fellow Pisces there. That Tammy Faye Baker documentary is great, by the way, if you never saw that, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, I haven't seen that, So no. good. Yeah, really good. Recommend it. Uh, that's it, Craig. That's a lot. Obviously, I had to touch on the death of Carol Lombard because it's such an interesting, sad story. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch this movie given the subject matter and obviously the distance that we have from it and uh, having you know seen movies like Inglorious Bastards and, and things like that. So uh, we've maybe got a little bit more of a preparation for seeing uh, Nazis and comedy coexist, but I'm super excited nonetheless. Me too. I can't wait to see what Kubelski has up his sleeve for us this time. <laughs> Any last words? No. Well, I can't wait to see what Kubelski has up his sleeve for us this time. I like it. It was good. That was worth repeating. Okay. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Come back next time and we'll get into it. Bye.